0: You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on Leadership, Vision, and Creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to the February edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Yay. Yay. My name is Shane. I'll be our host today, and we've got a great uh, topic today. We're going to talk about church planning, Uh, something that Perry knows a lot about, and hopefully, or what we've heard from a lot of our listeners is you guys have questions about it, so we thought we would dive into that topic today. But before we get to that, I just wanted to mention uh, one thing we have here at New Spring for churches out there, if you didn't know, is resources. We've got our Kids Spring resources. That's kids ministry resources. We've got production resources. We've got all sorts of things at newspring.cc backslash resources. And here's the cool thing. They're all free. If they're there, you can have them. There's a small, uh, simple process of entering email and that sort of thing, but it's super simple and it's all free. So if you're interested or you think that would help your church, we would love for you to dive into that uh, because we want to serve the kingdom in that way. Perry, do you have anything to add about New Spring Resources?
1: Well, the, the whole thought behind starting New Spring Resources w- was to help churches move forward. I mean, we... the, the I mean... I remember when we first started, and we'll talk about this in just a little while, but nobody was really giving anything away. Um, they were charging for it. And and I'm not down on churches charging for their stuff. I mean, yes and amen and praise God. But um, we were like, you know what, we're, we've we got all this stuff anyway. We believe as a church you can't outgive God, so let's just give it away. And, uh, man, I, I, I love that the Lord has enabled our church mm-hmm. to be able to do that. So if we can help you in any way, go to that website, newspring.cc, uh, backslash resources, and they're all there for absolutely free, no strings attached.
0: Yep, I love it. We create to serve our church and let it overflow into the kingdom, something I love about about our church. So today we're going to talk about church planning. Perry, I know that you meet with a lot of guys who are considering planning a church or have just planted a church. Also, we have our whole Unleashed team uh, and staff that often get questions about church planting. So today I thought we could dive right into that topic, and I'll ask you some questions that we've gotten in from our listeners recently on the topic of church planting. And so the first one is this, how do you know, or how did you know that you were called to start a church rather than take over an existing one?
1: That's a great question. Um, I had never heard of church planting in my life. In fact, uh, I'd never heard of it until my freshman year at College. I went to Anderson College, now Anderson University, and, th- and the one in South Carolina, not the one in Indiana. There's two, um, but I I met a girl there my freshman year, and her name was Christine Ponder, um, and we were talking about you know ministry, and she asked me what I wanted to do, and I told her I want to be a preacher, and she said, oh, my daddy helps pastors start churches, and I'd never heard of that. In fact, I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. I'm like, why would you want to start a church? There are hundreds of churches, and where we where we live in South Carolina, there's a church on every corner. And so I was like, okay, well, whatever, you know, big deal. Well, as I started working in church world, I began to understand that the majority of churches aren't really structured to to reach lost people, or it's not a place where you can bring lost or unchurched or even dechurched people. Um, you got to know a fair amount about the Bible to kind of track along with services and kind of understand what's going on. And so my heart began to break for people far from God. Who I thought the church was supposed to reach, but there wasn't really a a way to to reach them in the church. It's like it, the kind of like the mission, the unspoken mission was get them saved and then bring them to church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in 1996, uh, I'd graduated college. I was going to, to seminary at at um, Southeastern, and J, um, Dr. James Emery White, who's the pastor of Mecklenburg uh, Community Church in the Charlotte area, was doing um, some adjunct professoring. And he was teaching an apologetics class. And I loved apologetics, and I loved evangelism. I thought I was going to be a full-time evangelist at the time. And on one night, he said, I'm going to teach you on the most effective form of evangelism in the world. Well, he had me right there. And he did an entire talk on church planting, and it ruined me. It absolutely messed me up. I was in right there. Um, It was also during that same time that another professor of mine was talking about church planting, and I was... I just asked the question, I said, why would you plant a church instead of trying to take over, or try, to, well, yeah, take over really is a great way to say it, but try to change an established church. And his phrase to me was, it's easier to give birth to a baby than it is to resurrect the dead. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So um, uh, several years later, I knew it was time to start a church, and I got in touch with a organization here in South Carolina, and it just so happens that the man that I got in touch with was Norman Ponder. Um, back during my freshman year of college, I met his daughter, Christine Ponder. She told me about her dad who started churches, and nine years later I got in touch with her dad who helped me get the church started. So, that's, But that's how I knew. I was like uh, that evangelism, um, most effective form of evangelism in the world, and it's a place where I can bring lost and unchurched people to. That's good.
0: Uh, here's a question. Did you start uh, New Spring Church in the same community you were already working in, a, in the church? If so, how did you handle that transition? Well, the first person
1: I told when I decided to start the church was my pastor um, and wanted to seek his permission, if you will, wanted to seek his blessing, wanted to seek his favor. Um, and I had, some, I had one or two people in our church, in the existing church that I was in, and we were running about 150, 200 people, get really mad at me. And they said, um, I remember a gentleman coming up to me going, you're going to split this church. And I remember my response to him being, well, no, I'm not. Because number one, I'm not doing this out of bitterness or anger. And church splits usually start out of bitterness and anger. I so said, number two, the The people in this church, and the, and the church I was serving was a great church. It is a great church. The pastor there, I mean, I love that. I mean, I still, we still have a good relationship to this day. But I said, the people in this church that love this church are not going to love the type of church that I'm going to start. Um, and so, even if they love me, and even if they love my preaching or whatever, they're not going to love the style of ministry that I'm going to start. So, I think that's a slippery slope. If you're going to start a church in the community that you're in, um normally it's not a good idea. But but the the reason it worked with with us is because it wasn't starting out of bitterness. We didn't try to start a fight. Um it wasn't something that we were trying we, we weren't trying to prove and there's a baby crying in the room next door. And that is absolutely freaking me out because I didn't even know there was a baby it's up here. But we're unusual. not going to edit that out okay. because we're real and raw here at the that's Perry right. Noble Leadership Podcast. Um, no matter what can no you matter your what, is I, in, I don't know where. I mean, I was like, okay, there's a baby. Um, or either <laughs> or a squirrel that's losing its mind right outside our door. Um, but anyway, if, and so, I, I, like I said, I knew that the style would not work, I knew that the style would, would not match up with the church that I was. I'm currently serving in. So, if you're going to start a church in the community, and you need to be sort of birthed out of the church that you're in, and if they can't birth you, if you can't
0: start with a blessing, then it's probably
1: not the best idea to start in
0: that community. Let me follow up on that. You mentioned that the first person you told was the pastor of the church. You're yes. In. How long was that before you actually started the process of planting the church?
1: I did not start planting the church until I spoke to the pastor. I mean, that, that was that was the first priority that, that as soon as I knew that I was going to start a church, I didn't want to work because I knew that my heart and my mind would transition mm-hmm. into starting that church. And so I did not want to do that on the church that I was currently serving. I didn't want to do it on their time. So I didn't want to use their time. They were paying me um, to serve their church, to minister to their students. I didn't want to use that time to start planning and, and um processing how I was going to start this other church so the very first person I went to was my pastor
0: very good so let's talk about any particular community you might want to plan a church in one question we got in was this to what extent should a church planner take into consideration the existing churches in that area
1: well the the thought out there on this is mixed Shane you've got some people that say that you need to go into the community and get the permission from churches in that community well I, I don't think you do um, the, the reason why number one is nobody's ever asked me for permission to start a church in any of the places we have our campuses and I've never been mad there's people been start church started churches in Columbia and Greenville and Spartanburg and and Charleston and I, I'm like yes man we got 3.6 million in the st- people in the state of South Carolina that aren't in church and we can't reach them all so amen. Um, I've heard people say, "Well, you need to go to the, the the church fathers in a particular city or whatever." And I'm like, "Well, who the heck are they? Like, who are the church fathers? Could somebody unpack that for me? Because, you know, do you pick the largest church in the community? Well, okay, but what what if the smallest church in the community has been in the community the longest? And so, do you go get their permission? And you do? I would say if you have a relationship, a, a prior existing relationship with a pastor or a minister in that community, let them know you're coming. But other than that, um, I, you know, and, and once again, the philosophy out there is different, but I think you're, you know, if you want to learn from pastors in the community, if you want to ask them about the community, but I don't think you you need to get permission from, from anyone to do what God told you you, you should do.
0: Yep. Uh, next question. When you... Uh, Planted New Spring Church. Did you take anyone with you from the church you were serving at before that, staff or attendees, and how did that go? If you did, didn't take any staff. I think we took less than ten
1: people um, from the church originally, and I I didn't ask any of those people to come with me. Um, I simply told them what I was doing, and they told me they were coming, and then I asked them to make sure that it's where God was leading them and. It wasn't one of those things where I started going through the church and picking off like the the, the top people. Um, I had youth workers and youth volunteers that came with me. I had youth workers and youth volunteers that did not come with me that chose to stay, um, and I continued to have relationships with them. It's it wasn't one of those things where I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna recruit people from within this church because once again, I didn't um I, I didn't want to rip off from the church i was attending so when people would come to me and say hey i'm interested in this i would say well you're probably not because let me tell you what we're going to do and let me tell you how we're going to handle it and let me tell you this and it's probably not going to be your style and you're free to check it out and then there would be some people that would say hey i think i'm interested in this and i'm like well maybe maybe they are interested in this they look legitimate and so we took i think we took a total of about 10 people that were that were plugged into that church
0: and nobody that was on staff at that other church
1: no no one that was on staff
0: what uh let me just ask this in a different way. What would be the wrong way to do that? Like if you're on staff at a church and you're considering planting, you mentioned, I mean, what would be something that you would tell people, please don't get yourself in this situation. If you're at a church yeah. and you're going to plant in a, in a community, what are some things you don't do? Talking to the other staff, not talking to the pastor, what are some things you would counsel yeah. people not to do?
1: Um, first step would be not tell your pastor you're going to start a church. Second step would be you begin recruiting staff and people in the church to come start a church with you, and you haven't told the pastor that you're starting a church. That turns into what I call um, Absalom at the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, If you remember, David's son Absalom betrayed him and tried to take the kingdom over. And the way he did it was he stood at the gate and people would come to meet the king, and he would say, well, the king couldn't meet with you today, but, but, but if I were king,
0: mm-hmm.
1: man, I would listen to you. And he, he would flatter people. And that's the way that I've seen it done um, by some people to their pastors, where they would, they, would, they would begin to pull people aside and say, hey, um, I don't like this around here. I'm pretty sure you don't. If I were a pastor, this is how I would do it. And that person will appeal to them and it's not unity then. It's not vision. It's division. And so when you start a church out by division, it, it division never equals multiplication. It just never does. And so it's, it, it, you might get a short-term burst, but your soil is not going to be deep because yeah. you started it out with division. And Jesus himself said in the parable of the talents that when a seed is planted and it cannot get roots, it, it springs up, withers, and dies.
0: Yeah. So if you're that person, please don't plan a church. Yes. Uh, next question. This is uh, uh, an administrative or practical question. Uh, when in the process, in the process of you planning New Spring Church, did you file for your own nonprofit, and what advice would you give today for someone getting ready to file for theirs?
1: I would say that, um, you know what's really funny is I did all of this. I filed for the nonprofit. I made the call. I filled out all the paperwork. And so we're we're lucky that we're legal because I, I am not the most blessed person when it comes to that. But the process was I found out what I had to do. I mean, I guess every state's different. I mean, I don't really know, but I, I filled out paperwork. I made telephone calls. I did everything I needed to do. And I did this as soon as I knew we were going to start a church. As soon as I knew we were going to start a church, as soon as we got that done, I went and got the paperwork done. Because you have to have all that paperwork before you can really open a banking account mm-hmm. and begin to do payroll and stuff like that. So I would say do that as soon as possible.
0: Okay, next question. What type of checks and balances did you set up for yourself when you launched in order to keep yourself and your family healthy? What would you suggest for someone starting out today?
1: Well, I'm, I'm really the worst person in the world to, to talk to about this. Um, I, because when I started the church, I didn't have any kids, and I had a wife. Well, I wasn't married yet. Um, Lucretia was still in med school. We were engaged. When we got married, she started residency, so I could literally put eighty or ninety hours a weekend sometimes to the to the working on the church because she was putting eighty or ninety hours mm. in as a as a doctor. So it, it worked out in the weeks that she had only had to do thirty or forty hours, I could put in only or thirty or forty hours. So asking me how to do marriage and family is really a horrible question because I tell people. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a way to do. it. Andy Stanley did it. Mm-hmm. Andy Stanley wrote about it in his book called Choosing to Cheat, and uh, it it's really good. I mean, I would highly recommend that book. But I I'm the worst person in the world to ask about that. I I cover a lot of that in our um, leadership intensive, and I don't have one to advertise right now. I'm sure we'll be <laughs> doing one in the fall or next spring. But um, it you know how to make sure that you're healthy and, and things like that. But man. When we first started the church, I was wide open nonstop because I could be,
0: yeah, so definitely someone's place in life could affect that if mm-hmm. you uh were to give someone counsel who had a wife and a couple of kids is in in maybe you couldn't talk from your own experience but but would you counsel them to set certain boundaries yes how would you counsel them to make sure you keep the family? First and balance work days and all that kind of stuff, would that be a good idea going in to already have those boundaries set to, for accountability?
1: I would counsel them to do several things, and this is just from what I've seen doing this now for or being in ministry now for over 20 years. Number one, if you're going to start a church, your wife has to be on board. And when I say she has to be on board, I mean she's got to be in hook, line, mm-hmm. and sinker, bought in, because I've seen guys try to start churches where their wife's not bought in, and it just goes bad. It goes bad for their family, and it goes bad for their church. The second thing I would say is I would tell church planters, make sure that your wife is your wife and not the church's wife. Mm -hmm. Um, I've told the church before, Lucretia, uh, by the way, who's white, you just need to know that because we have people ask nearly every time I mention my wife's name, is she white? She's white. Um, Lucretia, I I would tell the church, she's my wife, she's not your wife. So she's not going to be at every membership class, and she's not going to be at every function, and she's not going to be at everything. I mean, she, she doesn't have to be. I mean, she, and, and so I, would, I'm, I was very protective of Lucretia. And the third thing is I will be very protective of the kids, okay? So, so most pastors and their wives, they show up at the church at, you know, 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock to start loading in, and you bring your kids in, and you're there until 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon – um, and you make your kids stay there the whole time. What what you're going to do if you're not careful is you're going to teach your children to hate church. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to you got to have something for your kids. I mean, let them participate in the service or the children's program or the youth program or whatever you have that morning. But you also have to have something else for them. And if the wife wants to take them home or if you want to get some friends to take them somewhere, that's okay. Your kids do not have to be at every service. I would say that that is the main thing, is protect your wife and protect your children from church people who think that th- that your wife and children need to be at the church all the time, but they only need to come every other week.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, all right, next question. How much startup money is needed to start a hmm. church in a mobile site? And the questioner asked about specific sound media, chairs, banners, children's ministry equipment. I know that's probably depends on the situation but is there uh some information you can give our listeners about that how much money is needed to start up you know different people have
1: different ideas on how much money you need to start up we we didn't really have any money and when i say we didn't have any money we, we just didn't have any money um you, you can start a church on however much money you have um so i would i mean i know some people say "Wait, do you have a hundred thousand dollars a bank wait do you have fifty thousand Wait, do you have half a million i, I if God tells you to start a church, go start the freaking church. That, that's what I would say. I, but it, it depends on your vision as to how much you know, money you need. Like I know guys that want to start churches, and they've got their five best friends, and they've promised them all full-time staff positions. Well, you okay, well, then you're going to need a little money to start your church. You're going to need to figure that
0: out. So it kind of depends on your vision. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. Uh, next question, what are the pros and cons of doing a church plant Bivocational and independently. Well if you're if you're bivocational, the the
1: the pro is it doesn't cost your church as much. Um, and there are some great men and women of God out there that are bi- bivocational ministers that do an incredible job and um and and my hat's off to them. I mean I, I you know that that's the way I, I intended on starting the church until something happened that allowed me to go full time that was really a blessing that we didn't expect. Um, the cons are you can't give what you feel called to um, the full, mm-hmm. uh, your full passion and energy. I mean, the full calling of your heart, if you will. You you just can't give that away if you're bivocational. And so I tell bivocational men and women all the time, you know, as soon as you can go full time, go full time because that's when your church is going to really benefit from. Um,
0: from your, from your calling. Yep. So what you're saying is that a church, to a great extent, is going to be limited until the pastor can, that was felt called and did plant the church can give 100% of his time to.
1: I've, I've, I honestly feel that way. There are godly people out there that would disagree with me, but I still come back to you show me a church in America that's growing and thriving and reaching people for Christ, That doesn't have a full time pastor, and I'll change my mind. But I haven't—I've never seen one.
0: Uh, Next question: What was your first hire on staff? First hire
1: was first full time hire was a worship leader. I hired Lee McDermott in 2000. In fact, his first his first day officially with us as full time was Mother's Day of 2000. And so he graduated college on Saturday and started working on a Sunday.
0: Uh, This next question is like it: What are the must haves? quote-unquote, in ministry departments when first, first launching a church? It, I
1: always tell people your must-haves are completely based on your vision. So for us, our, one of our visions was to have a really creative, energetic, engaging Sunday experience. That was the first thing we wanted. Well, we needed a worship leader to do that because I was leading worship. And if I'm leading worship, we're not going to have a really creative, awesome, energetic worship worship experience. I mean, I knew four chords on the guitar, and so we were kind of limited to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, lean on me, and blessed be the name of the Lord with an occasional, Lord, I lift your name on high and we exalt thee. <laughs> That's about the... And so you can only take a church plant so far on four chords. Um, and so I... I just knew we needed someone in there that was gifted and talented in that area, and so we brought this guy in, um, Lee, and he's still with us today. Uh, soon after that, Lee and I are, we're kind of creative people. We're kind of, you know, I've got a little bit of artsy to me, and Lee does too, so we weren't very organized. So our next hire was someone to help us come in and kind of begin to get organized and get some things put into systems, and then After that, we really began the desire to reach young families. Well, you can't reach young families if you don't have um, somebody at least part-time dedicated to a children's ministry. Um, Some people would argue student ministry, but I tell people all the time, you you need to do your children's ministry before your student ministry because parents will—you're going to attract young families with a healthy children's ministry way before you will a student ministry. I mean, we didn't have a full-blown— student ministry here at New Spring Church for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, even when we start a campus today, usually we don't even start with a student ministry because we want to get that children's ministry solid and developed before we begin to start that student ministry. So I would I would say it goes back to your vision. If you want a strong discipleship ministry, then your first hire probably needs to be a discipleship pastor. If you want a you know, strong video presence, then you probably need to hire a web person or a Somebody that writes code, I don't even know what that is, but I get told that we need some of that a lot. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to this and you write code, we would love to hire you. newspring.cc slash jobs. There are 40 openings. Just wanted you to know Not that. just for coders. No, not just Video for coders. Video producers. Video
0: producers. And if you're awesome in general, we need to talk to you.
1: Camp, future campus pastors, children's pastors,
0: ice cream salesmen, <laughs> all kinds of stuff are in there. Uh, next question. If you are starting today... Uh, how much would you outsource to existing companies compared to building through volunteers or hiring staff to complete ministry tasks? I guess this is encompassing you know, bulletins and any other duties that uh, would need to be done, Once Web, again, websites and such. Yeah,
1: well. it goes back to volunteers because here's, here's what I've discovered. Other companies can help you dev- lay a strong foundation. They're not going to help you build anything. Because they're all going to say, we'll come in, and and this is just what I've experienced. Um, We're going to come in, and we're going to custom design a program for your church, and they're not. It's the same thing they've done for every church that they've ever worked with. Now, saying that, there's some great ones out there Mm. that'll help you get started, but in order to build something long-term that you have influence over, um, I would say bring as much as possible in-house. That's good.
0: Uh, next question was:
1: um, The only people mad at that are the people that have those companies. That's right. That they've got, are always they, they emailing know. me,
0: asking me to endorse them. Yeah. Hey, they know they do. They what do They know. do, and it's you guys important. Need to knock it off. But Hell, if you I want mean, something that's you, you got to do it. That's right. Uh, next question: Mail campaigns. What are the pros and cons of doing this? I assume this is the early radio. on to get the yeah to get the uh, word out about the new church.
1: I had a guy tell me one time, and this is this has been pretty much true that the best way to get people to come to church is person to person. I mean, it hands down, but number two in a lot of the research that I've seen is a really good direct mail campaign will work. Whatever you send out on a direct mail campaign, you can usually expect a one to two percent return. Um... And, and and they're not all going to come on the week that you advertise. They're going to come over a period of about six weeks. So if you send out, you know, ten thousand, you know, direct mail pieces, you know, one percent return on ten thousand is what? I just my mind just uh, went blank. Approximately a hundred. A hundred is it? Or is it ten? Is it ten? It's ten. So one to two percent. So if you send out a <laughs> thousand. I, I am. We not don't use calculators on the Perry Noble Leadership Heck Podcast. No, we figure it out. That's what <laughs> leaders do. They figure out problems. Back off. By the way, if you're good at f- systems and figuring stuff out, <laughs> do spring.cc slash jobs. We could, we could use you to help record the Perry Noble <laughs> Leadership Podcast. You don't need Podcast. to plan a church. You need no, to go work for us. That's right. Hey, listen. But so, so if you send out 10,000 direct mail pieces, you, know, you can expect between 10 and 20 people to actually um visit your church. So you gotta you gotta kind of is it worth the investment. Now I say yes. I, I I'm I'm big on direct mail. I think direct mail's a good idea. Now if your church is sending out sixteen direct mail pieces a year, you become white noise in your community. Yep. But for a special event or for a church launch, I think it is a great idea to kind of get the name and the information out there.
0: Yeah if I remember right too, at least here in our state Uh, This may be a federal thing. If you're a nonprofit, you get special deals on direct mail, so it's cheaper than you might think. Uh, Next question. I think you may have already addressed this, but I'll go ahead and ask it again. How how did you raise money (laughs) for your church when you started, and how would you do it today if you were starting? I did it.
1: The way I did it is the way I would do it today. I didn't write a support letter. I didn't ask anybody for money. I didn't write other churches. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. Here's what I did. I taught people how to tithe from the very start. I preached on giving. I didn't preach on it as much as I should, and I apologized way too much for it. Um, but And people go, well, lost people won't give money. Well, that's not true. Um, here's what I've discovered about giving in the church. People that receive Christ in your church are way more likely to give. The only people that get mad about giving sermons are people that have been in church for a long time that aren't used to being called to some, some level mm-hmm. of commitment. And so they're the only people that get mad. Um, I the the way you raise money in the church is you cast strong, compelling vision, and then you ask people to come on board and f- be financially committed. That's the way you raise money. Yep. It worked. It worked in the New Testament. It worked in the Old Testament, and it works today.
0: And just to, to, re- to reiterate that, when New Spring Church started, that's what you did, and that's how you got started. You yeah. didn't have a giant. Uh, you know, uh, sugar daddy, so to speak, to come and say, "Hey, here's hundreds of thousands of dollars to get Mm-mm. started." You got fifteen people together, and you started meeting and preaching about giving.
1: We did, and and we were started. The South Carolina Baptist Convention helped us get us started, and they did give us some startup money. They gave us a thousand dollars a month, uh, which is you know it's good. I mean, none of us were mad about it, um, but it it wasn't. You know, like you said, I know some people that are like, hey, so-and-so said they'd give me $250,000 if I'd start a church. I'm like, well, that's great. We, we've never really had that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, yay God. But this is the other thing I've discovered about people that say, and they'll give you money if you start a church. Um, you you, you better, better make sure that you figure out what strings are attached to that money. Because mm-hmm. sometimes there's strings attached. We were just in, yeah, <laughs> we've ahead, just been Yeah, we just been informed that one percent of ten thousand is one hundred. So for all you type A people that were freaking out and have already emailed us, you're great at systems, we have job openings at newspring.cc slash jobs. Yeah. We're not editing any of that out. We I'll put that in there.
0: I mean it's people out there right now saying this guy planted a church, and there's 25,000 people coming to it. What is 1% of (laughs) (laughs) 25,000? Obviously, the Lord's at work. Obviously, the Bible (laughs) is true. That's right. Because the Bible says that
1: God will choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. (laughs) So if you've ever doubted the validity of Scripture, today in the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, it just got proven. That's right.
0: More proof. Praise God. Okay, here's a a great question. If you launch today in in a perfect world... uh, How would you structure your leadership team, departments, and ministry flow? In a, you know, it. I don't know what perfect world means. I mean, the Lord created this one. I would well, say it's perfect. Well, honestly, the
1: Huey Lewis song <laughs> popped into my mind. Ain't no
0: living <laughs> yeah in a
1: perfect world. Okay, if I were to launch today, how would I structure my? I, I think. The, the thing I keep going back to is you've got to structure your leadership team, departments, and ministry flow according to vision. Um, and you've, you know, at first everybody's kind of in a room. As you get larger, everybody can't be in the decision making room. It gets a little bit more tense, it gets a little bit more intense. I always tell guys I would wait at least a year into the church plant to form any sort of senior leadership team, if you will. Because what normally happens, while well, back up, if I would have formed a senior leadership team at New Spring Church before we really got into what we were doing, um, I would have put the wrong people on the team. I think you've got to have a good year of working. You, you really get to know somebody's heart when you're in the trenches working with them, and you get to see the direction and their intention and their work ethic, things like that. So I would say wait about a year before you kind of make those decisions.
0: This is, uh, I guess, along those same lines, uh, but the question is a board-led or a staff-led church, what are the pros and cons to these, and how is New Springs structured? We're a
1: staff-led church, which I believe, um, honestly, is – the most biblical. Um, I, could, I could do a whole podcast on this, but I'll try to kind of sum it up this way. I think the reason a lot of churches in America cannot really move to the position of thriving is because they're led wrong. I think um, I think, uh, deacon or elder-led churches where it, the people that are in the trenches doing the work of the ministry who are putting 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week in are literally told what they can and cannot do by people that maybe put two to three to four hours into week, a week at a church. Now tell me, in, in the world, what business model works like that? For example, if you've got a banker and he's got a team of people around him that help him run his bank. Well, that's the guy I want making decisions. If I've got a surgeon operating on me, I don't want him to have to come out of surgery to get the permission of a plumber, a housewife, and a business owner as to what he thinks he needs to do while he's, you know, got my heart open working on me. I want, he's the expert. I want him doing the work. And so, for example, I just use our student ministry. Uh, Brad Cooper is our student pastor. I think he's the person most qualified to lead the student ministry. So, I don't want to put him under the authority of a group of people that spend maybe one to two hours a week, and that's being generous, thinking about, praying about the student ministry of our church. I mean, this guy's 60 hours a week, easy. Um, I, I think he's the most qualified person to lead the church. And I think church leaders in the church are the
0: most qualified people to lead the church. How would you advise somebody if they want to go with a staff-led church, especially early on, how would you encourage them to set up a board or an accountability layer or somebody? Is there any uh, value or is there a right way to get uh, lay people's input or accountability when you're starting a church? Absolutely.
1: I've always had that. I've always had a group of um, men, and I'm not sexist. I just... I've had a group of men that I'm pretty close with, and I typically don't get close to women other than my wife. And so I, I've always had a group of men that I could pull into a room and rely on, ask them questions, bounce ideas off of them, um, You know, really good, godly, strong businessmen who I respected, who loved Jesus, um, and who um, loved the church. I've always had them in place. I think today we call them a pastory advisory mm-hmm. team. These are actually the men that, along with the senior leadership team of our church, could have me removed. That could fire me under um, certain conditions. Um, these are the people that um, would would set my salary. These are the people that would kind of talk to me about things I should and should not should not do. Um, if they ever have a problem or a concern, these guys are the, the ones that will come to me and confront me. If our leadership team ever had a problem or concern that you guys felt you weren't getting through to me on, you know, you, you might go to these guys and they would kind of present me with these problems or concerns so I think it's always great to have a people to have a group of people that you don't necessarily have any authority over as far as hiring or firing to meet with you from time to time ask you questions and hold you accountable um, in in some regards.
0: And to be clear though that's a group of people that can ask questions and be available to you but they don't make day to day businesses. No
1: if they don't like the bulletins in the church well that's tough. I mean, they don't like the bulletins. I mean, they don't. It's not a. It's not a whining party where we're going to cry about the bulletins and get upset about you know I didn't really like that song this past Sunday or or whatever. It's it's not that. It's it's um what it it's things that matter to the
0: heart of the senior leader. That's good. We've covered lots of ground in regards to church planning today. But before we go, Perry, I just want to give you an opportunity to say uh, anything else you'd like to to anyone out there who. Is considering planting a church or maybe who just planted a church? You know,
1: church planting is something you've got to be called to, and it's not easy. Um, if, you, if you don't have—I um, would tell people if you don't have a fighter's mentality, meaning you, when you go into it, you're like, I'm going to do this no matter what, then you probably shouldn't plant a church. Um, it's not for the weak at heart. It's not for people pleasers. It's not for people that have a hard time making decisions— because um, planting the church, though you think it's an easy decision or a hard decision, is actually the easiest decision you'll make in the process. The, the decisions only get more challenging from there. Um, you're going to lose about half the people that start the church with you, your core group. And every church planter thinks they're going to be the exception, and you're not. Um, some of them are going to leave nicely, and some of them it's going to be one of the hardest things in your life that you've ever dealt with. And so I would say you're gonna you're gonna lose about I mean typically you lose about fifty percent, which means if you start with twelve you'll wind up with three six yeah six <laughs> four <laughs> yes. hey I figured that <laughs> stay out stay away by from myself. math hey um so a lot of people that are called to church a lot of people a lot of people think they're called to church planting because they're bitter and mad and upset in their current situation and if you ever plant something out of bitterness and anger and frustration, is just not going to go well. It's kind of like a man that hates his wife, and he's got bitterness and anger in his heart, so he divorces her and marries another woman. Well, he married that woman with bitterness and anger in his heart, so that that's going to probably wind up in a divorce, too. Yeah,
0: that's good, Perry. All right, well, that's it uh, for this edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, and again, if you have questions that you'd like us to address... We'll consider that. Send emails with your questions to hello at newspring.cc. Put leadership podcast in the subject title, and we'll get to them as soon as we can. Y'all have a good one. Woohoo!